Welcome to Marvin Methodist Church's Sanctuary Service, brought to you from our beautiful historic sanctuary in downtown Tyler. My name is Doug Baker, and I'm the lead pastor. We're currently in a sermon series entitled Jesus in the Wilderness. I hope this Lenten message blesses you. Let's join in as the message is already underway. The devil said to him, Jesus, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. So if you worship me, it will all be yours, all the kingdoms of this world. In verse 9, the devil led him, Jesus, to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple, saying, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we turn to you now during this season of Lent and our journey through the wilderness. And we pray, Lord God, that you would bring these words to life for us, that they might have effect on who we are and how we live and what we're for, that we might receive your love and be loved for this world that's hungry. Lord God, we believe there has got to be more. So give us more. In Jesus' name we pray, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, say that with me. Come Holy Spirit, amen. Recently, Zach Meerkrebs preached a sermon in Hughes Auditorium on the campus of Asbury University. It was his third time ever to preach in that setting. He's a graduate of the seminary across the street, Asbury Seminary. Zach preached in that space and felt like it was an awful message. So much so that as he's walking off the stage, he even had the presence of mind to text his wife, another stinker, be home soon. The enemy was pestering him with doubt and insecurity as if his worth was in his work, was in his preaching. Nonetheless, what followed that sermon, after everybody left but 18 people remained, what followed was an outpouring of God's love in that space on that campus that lasted for two weeks' time. And it had very little to do with anything Zach preached and everything to do with God's heart for all people. And you better believe God's heart is for the people sitting in this room right here right now. This morning we do continue. It's the third Sunday of Lent and the third week of a campus-wide series on Jesus in the wilderness. And the thing about this story from Luke chapter 4, Jesus was all alone in the wilderness. 
There were no companions with him, nobody following him, writing things down. The only reason we have record of this, the only reason the disciples knew this story is because Jesus told them. Why would he tell them? It's because this experience greatly formed Jesus' life his calling, the rest of his ministry. But there's also great merit in this story for you and me because you know that we will experience the wilderness throughout our lives. And when we do, there is a right and proper way to face it head on. We need to look at Jesus' life for that. Last week we saw how Jesus aced the test. He resisted temptation, and I want you to wrestle with this. Jesus could have succumbed to temptation, could have given in to it there in the wilderness, even much later in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, if there is another way, could have given up. If Jesus was above temptation, then he wouldn't have been relatable for you or for me. And scripture says, Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are, yet he was without sin. So he could have, he had the propensity to succumb to temptation, but he did not. How was Jesus able to endure the wilderness? He was clear about his identity. Jesus knew who he was, whose he was, how he was called to be in this world. You are my son, much loved. With you I am well pleased. And this, before Jesus ever preached a sermon, before he ever healed anybody or performed any miracle, his identity was as image bearer of God, and God was proud of his son, loved him so. And we could say so many different things about our identity, but the, at the end of the day, only one thing matters, and that is that you and I, we are much loved sons and daughters of God, period, end of story. We can face anything with that as our identity. When we live and move and have our being out of that reality, we'll pass every test and overcome every temptation because the Lord is with you. And even better, he's in you. If you claim his name, if you receive this gift of salvation and his presence for the rest of the living of our lives. This morning, we're talking about one little word, the word if, it's used three times in this story, and as we continue this morning and beyond this time we have together, as we face down the ifs in our lives, I want to invite you to reflect on how the accuser comes to you. With what seeds of doubt is he throwing your way, sowing in your heart. In Luke chapter four, the enemy pestered Jesus with three questions. We read them earlier, Luke four, verse three, seven, and nine. In verse three, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, this right after God spoke audibly for other people to hear, my son, it's the first thing that's challenged for Jesus. If you are the son of God, right out of the gate is identity challenged. Use your power in your own way to meet your own needs. If you're the son of God, Jesus, prove it. Then in verse seven, if you worship me, all of this will be yours. All the kingdoms of this world. Joel Green is a theology professor at Fuller Seminary in California. He wrote, in effect, 
This is an invitation for Jesus to deny his identity as God's son, substituting in its place an analogous relationship to and with the devil. Jesus, maybe there's an easier way to do this. Maybe there's another way. All of this can be yours if you'll just bow the knee. And finally, down in verse nine, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from this high and holy pinnacle. Jesus has a single eye that's fixed and focused on God and on God's calling for his life. He's wholehearted committed to God's will and God's ways. And not only is the devil challenging that, he is inviting Jesus to question God's faithfulness and seeking to divide Jesus's allegiance and his loyalty. Three arrows propelled by the tiny word, if. And next week, we'll get into Jesus's response, but for the rest of our time, let's explore that word, if. The significance behind its many uses and the potential that is behind it for you and for me. And so the first point that I wanna make this morning if is a word that God uses to build us. If is a word that God uses to build us. That word if is not all bad. Throughout the Bible, God speaks to his people, painting the picture of conditions or requirements that when they are met, lead to the realization of God's blessings or God's promises in their midst. So let me give you a few examples. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses one and two, if you obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high and above all nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. Later on in the Old Testament, in the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter seven, verses 14 and 16, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open, my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. Now let me put this in a more relevant context, a more present tense. This temple that we are a part of is no longer made brick and mortar, but of human flesh and bone. God dwells in and through the hearts of those people who claim his name, Jesus. We are the ones, church, you are the ones through whom this land is healed. We are talking about the world, not Western evangelicalism, not just the United States, the whole world. The body of Christ gathers around the globe. God's presence is in them, God's heart is to heal the land. There is a promise 
of God's presence, an invitation to God's people to participate with God in salvation history as it's being written. And he's written us into his story. Let me give you one more from the New Testament. First John chapter one verse nine says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If is not a bad word, it's a good word. It is a word of potential that speaks of possibility. God has for you, for me, his church, God uses the word if to stir up hope within us and to build us up. But let's shift gears because the second point I wanna make is that if is a word the accuser uses to break us. If is a word the accuser uses to break us. How does the accuser speak to you? What does the enemy want you and me, want us to question? Jesus said, Gospel of John, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Wants to disorient us and warp our understanding of God. Wants to make us doubt and question your call and mine. How do we know when he is pestering us and needling us? If ever there is a feeling of lostness or lovelessness or hopelessness inside of you, those things that conjure up doubt and insecurity, you can be sure those things are not of God. They're straight from the pit of hell. The enemy uses the if word to get inside your head and mess with your mind. And Dan Wilt, an author and a pastor, he writes for Seedbed, he suggests there are three really fascinating things the enemy wants to do, wants to create in us a new possibility. Jesus, you could just turn those stones into bread. He wants to create in us or suggest for us a new future, one that exchanges struggle for comfort. Has to be an easier way. And ultimately, the enemy wants to separate us from God, wants to break our faith in him. God won't rescue you. You're not worth it. Did he really say that? The if word sits at the heart of every failure, moral, physical, spiritual, seeds of doubt and discord. And when the enemy sows those inside of us, just like Jesus, there's a chance we might fail, especially as infants or adolescents in this journey that we are on, this faith that we are walking with God. But failure does not define us. That's not who you are. And similarly, success does not save us. Your success is not what saves you or me. Our salvation, how many times do we forget who we are, how we're called to be in this world? Our salvation is based not on our remembrance, but on God's, who when the time was right, stepped down out of heaven in the person and work of Jesus, who lived, died, rose again, ascended into heaven. When he did, because he did, he went from being someone on the outside to the one who lives inside of you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what saves us to the uttermost. So rather than focus on the enemy or giving credence to his voice, focus on God. 
Let's learn to know his voice. And I want you to hear this. Rather than striving harder to earn God's love, let's just rest in the reality of God's love and receive more because you know there's gotta be more. Just when we think we've arrived, there's more. God is for you, he sees you. Created in his image, he loves you. Middle of last month, there was a move of God on the campus of Asbury University. What many are calling an outpouring of God's love and time will tell if that was in fact revival. We'll see fruit and seeds of that or we won't. Richard Dahlstrom is a pastor I follow. He lives in Seattle, serves at Bethany Christian Church. And he said that students of revival will tell you over the course of time, the movement of the spirit in Western evangelicalism has always unfolded in the middle of a cultural moment. Each of these historical movements has revealed a unique trait, for example, in 1886, the Great Mount Hermon Conference brought a zeal and a passion for the Great Commission. In 1906, the Azusa Street Revival brought unity amongst classes and demographics that was unprecedented, marked by speaking in tongues or a common language. The Toronto blessing in the mid-1990s brought overwhelming joy. The Brownsville revival brought zeal for the lost and the point that Dahlstrom's trying to make, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, the fruit that is born speaks to the moment. In a moment of sickness, there's healing. In a moment of complacency, there's passion for the lost. What's the cultural moment we have been journeying through since mid-2020? And how has that affected our culture and our society? What's going on in Kentucky? This outpouring is marked by a tangible sense of peace for a generation facing unprecedented anxiety. A restored sense of belonging amidst an epidemic of loneliness, an authentic hope for a generation that is marked by depression, a leadership emphasizing humility for a generation deeply hurt by the abuse of religious power. And those things aren't just characteristic of Generation Z. We all experience anxiety, depression, loneliness, hurt, by and from the church. So what's the fruit of the revival in Kentucky? Peace. Belonging to something bigger than yourself. Hope and humility. This is a Kairos moment in time because all across our country, what are people experiencing? Anxiety, loneliness, depression, cynicism. The enemy is just pestering us. He wants to get inside your head. He wants to create division in this church. He wants to separate us from God. The accuser uses all of these things to break us. 
but God is breaking into time and space and he is doing something new right before our very eyes. So let me share the third thing about this word, if. If is a word that we can use to see God's kingdom come. God uses it to build his people up. Satan uses it to break his people down. We can use it if to see God's kingdom come. Imagine using the if word for kingdom possibilities. What if I took time to rest in God's love, to behold God's son? What might I become if my eyes were fixed on Jesus and that changed my perspective and his presence changed everything about how I carry myself, live and move and have my being? For the last four years at her Christian college, Gracie Turner had been keeping a secret. There was a growing wedge between her and God, a cynicism that was pestering her. She'd lost her faith, and there were many things that affected her. Cancer have ravaged her great-grandmother who died a brutal death after living a long life. Really, God, cancer? There was anger amidst her family, so much so that she called the cops one evening on her family. And then to throw insult to injury, she experienced a back injury that just devastated and debilitated her walk around campus and engagement in the campus life. All of these things drove Gracie Turner to despair. And she said, there were times I would just lay in my dorm room at night, lay in bed thinking, Lord, if I didn't wake up in the morning, it wouldn't be such a bad thing. And I wonder if you've ever been pestered with thoughts like that yourself. When she got to Asbury University, she started going to chapel because it was required three times a week to get a college credit, but she never thought God would fix anything. Life was getting harder. She was struggling under the weight of anxiety, depression, despair, and this back pain that brought her to a breaking point. And she was in the chapel last February, that Wednesday morning, and then she was not one of the 18 who lingered, went back to her dorm room, and she just struggled. But on Sunday morning, she said to her roommate in the dorm room, what if we went to chapel this morning instead of doing homework? And that if helped her to realize God's possibility, his preferred future for her life. She said as soon as she walked into that place, she experienced peace, experienced healing, experienced hope, and started to feel an awakening in her spirit. And she rested in God's love, knowing his goodness, his kindness, and that is shaping and forming her for new possibilities. If opens the doorways for kingdom possibilities. It's a word that will allow us, as Jesus leads us into his vision for our preferred future, and the same is possible for you and me, for God to lead us into what's possible this afternoon. 
in our home, in our workplace, in our city, and what we experience doesn't terminate on us, there may be a blessing for Tyler, Texas, and for the world. Some of you have experienced radically poor love over the course of your life. These are some of the words that Zach Meerkrieb preached on that chapel on Wednesday morning. Some of you have been hurt experiencing that radically poor love by the church. And on behalf of the church and because of your pain, I want you to know, I'm so sorry. Because ours is a good God who sees you, he knows your pain, he's created you in his image that we might be icons in the world, image bearers of God with his love inside of us for a world that's desperate, hungry for something more. Maybe that love you've experienced that's been painful. Maybe it's not violent or abusive. Maybe you haven't been taken advantage of, but maybe you feel like someone's duped you. And you've got to know that our God, the Father in heaven, who is for you, he will never love you in that way. His perfect love will save you to the uttermost. And he's got a vision for your life, but much more so, he's got a vision for this church, and I'm so glad to be a part of it with you. Let me leave you with these three thoughts restated again. Church, when God comes to you with an if, listen, because it's a word that God uses to build us up. When the enemy comes to you with an if word, face it head on. Don't leave it unanswered or it'll fester inside of you. It will simmer. If is a word the accuser uses to break us. And when we carry our own if word around inside of us, God will use that to lead us into the vision he has for our future. And if we're hungry for that, if we're seeking after that, don't you know he's going to honor that and lead us? Lord God, move on your church. Come Holy Spirit. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you and we trust you and we pray that you would wake something up in us, heighten our awareness to the fact and reality of our need Save us to the uttermost as we receive your love and as we scatter from this gathering. Help us to be love in this world. Love that demands a verdict. Love that is all about Jesus. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name.
Thank you for watching our broadcast this morning. I'd like to personally invite you to join us for Sunday morning services at 8.30 and 11 on our campus at 300 West Irwin Street, downtown Tyler. God's up to something here at Marvin Church, and I don't want you to miss out. I hope you'll visit our website to learn more about our church, its ministry, and serving opportunities. And if we can be of any help and assistance in your spiritual growth, I hope you let us know.